According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs 12. It's been a couple of weeks. We had uh, the Schaefer Conference last week, so missed uh, being here. Also expect uh, five weeks from now we'll have the Ukraine trip coming up, so uh, stay tuned for that. I leave on April 23rd and come back on May 6th, so we'll have a couple of Wednesdays that uh, we will not have Proverbs class coming up. All right, Proverbs chapter 12, um, we talked about the stability in verse 2, and I think uh, we wrapped up that significantly enough. We don't have to return to that. A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will not be moved. And we have the blessings of stability that come for believers that are living and abiding in the Word of God. And the uh, provision that's been made that we're not tossed to and fro, we don't get thrown uh, all willy-nilly because of the testing and circumstances of life. Uh, We can have the mastery of the circumstances and details of life as we occupy with Christ and fixing our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're going to move on this morning to tackle verse 4 and then verses 5, 6, and 7 as a unit. But verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And so what kind of woman do you want to marry? (laughs) And uh, you realize, oh, wait a minute. This is not two different kinds of women. This is the same woman uh, on two different days. (laughs) Or we have... uh, Well... I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to proceed from there. We'll see if I can offend everybody in the room. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before your throne of grace this morning, thankful for your blessings, thankful for your truth, Uh, calling upon your faithfulness, Father. We don't know if this recording is going to work or not, but whatever else, it's in your hands. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for brothers and sisters that assemble together to receive instruction and uh, just rejoice in how faithful you are. Uh, guide and bless our time in your word today. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we've had three points of study so far in chapter 12. Uh, basically, main point one came from verse one, and main point two came from verse two. We talk about the grace of God and the condemnation of the God. Which one do you want to be under? <laughs> All right because they are contingently targeted and uh, aspects there in the plan of God that I think are uh, important to get into. And then main point three, as we talked about it from verse three there, also verse 19 of the same chapter as we address the issues of stability. God's provision is for our fixed stability. And uh, in verse 19, we see this, truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. And so concepts that relate to stability, that, uh, that speak to permanence, that speak to duration, that speak to eternity. And if you think about it, God is the eternal I am. God is the eternal being that uh, without beginning, without ending. And so the uh, concepts of, of, uh, of eternity the blessings of stability, of course. They are very much uh, in, in agreement with God's very nature. And uh, on the uh, uh, other side of the equation is the idea of anything that's not God, anything that's temporal, anything that had a beginning, anything that will have an end. 
the rebellion against God, for example, is only passing. It is only for a moment. It is only for the boundaries of time between the Alpha and the Omega because after the, uh, the boundaries of time come to a conclusion, there is no more rebellion against God. In, uh, for the thousand generations and beyond, for eternity future, there is no more rebellion against God. And so again, we're back to things of permanence and stability and, and something that's fixed in, uh, in that regard. So uh, no surprise then that we have the transient nature of sin. It's called the passing pleasures of sin in Hebrews and other applications there. No, God's provision is for our fixed stability. And since we have eternal life now, we're not waiting to get to heaven to receive our eternal life. We should now, in time, in the, in the Christian walk, we should have that kind of fixed stability. We should be reflecting the eternity that we already have entered into. All right, well, that's enough on that. I think we went through all the passages there related to Ephesians 3 and 4, not being tossed to and fro, Colossians 1, Colossians 2, and Hebrews 6.19. We looked at all those? We did. And then I teased you with the marriage issue in point four. Marriage is, and we did not look at these verses, but marriage is either the greatest blessing or the greatest cursing. Then you can, if you want to add in there, or both, okay, from day to day. Uh, Because really, this is what we have uh, to deal with here. Um, And uh, this is the first of several passages in, uh, in this portion that's dealing with it. Proverbs 12, Proverbs 14, 19, 21, all of those are within the, uh, the, the segment of Proverbs that we're talking about presently. Once we got through verses, uh, chapters 1 through 9 where we had the parental wisdom, remember? Now we're in this section in chapters 10 through 24, that's the, uh, the personal and public wisdom that we're dealing with and clearly uh, you know, large on that list is finding a, a, a spouse. Uh, choosing uh, the marriage partner that you're going to spend the rest of your life together uh, glorifying Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? And, and how do we apply wisdom in those kind of choices? So an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. That's on the one hand. And praise God for the, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. Praise God for the woman of excellence. And we'll define that excellence for you. It is the same might and power that the mighty man of valor has. If, if this term was applied to a man, we would expect him to be a warrior. All right? And then and we have another Old Testament passages. But here it's applied to the virtues of a woman. And what is a woman mighty in? Well, she's mighty in other ways, not the ways that a man is mighty in. And so we'll have to talk about that. But verse, uh, the second part of verse four then, but she who shames him, she who shames him. And so um, is like rottenness in his bones. And so we have a description of character with an excellent wife. And then we have a description of activity with she who shames him, right? You see that the excellent is is a description of character. But then she who shames him is, is verbal. It's a description of what she does, something that she's done. Okay? And, of course, they're both applicable. And we're going to do the, the, the cross match. We're going to do the crisscross on this. We're going to see that on both sides, the virtuous woman is not just for her character and the description of what she is like, but it also centers on her activity, the things that she does. Likewise, uh, she who shames him, that centers on her, her being and her doing. 
the characteristics that describe her as well as the activity that she engages in. So both, uh, both those elements are here in view. And uh, so the crown of her husband, the crown of her husband, that's very visible, right? The crown, the top, the, the external adornment. You know, what, what do you wear on your, on your head that, that serves to glorify you, <laughs> okay? Uh, well, a crown glorifies a king, right? A crown highlights his position, identifies who he is, it demonstrates his royalty, it demonstrates his power, his majesty, his wealth. Um, you know, some crowns are more impressive than others, <laughs> I suppose, in the uh, materials that it's made out of. But the point is, the crown is visible. We've talked about this in previous Proverbs as well. What's visible, what's not visible. Rottenness in the bones. Rottenness in the bones. You can't always see it, <laughs> okay? It's very internal. The arthritis or the cancer or whatever you want to describe that is an internal rottenness that afflicts the bones. And it aches and aches and aches and you can't see it. But boy, uh, it does some, some long-term damage and it's uh, something else. So we can talk about that as well. Two sides here in the same uh, in the same proverb. All right. Uh, Moving on, let's just look at the remainder of these that we'll see in due time. Chapter 14 and verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And so there you have it. On the one hand, it's a great blessing to her husband, to her children, to her household. Uh, But on the other hand, it's terrible. Um, If she's tearing it down, then that damages obviously her husband and her children and her the uh, entire household. She's going to have, again, in the ancient world, going to have servants, going to have virgins, going to have maidens, I should say, same thing, going to have um, the, the ex- extended household, including uh, the staff and the slaves and, and everything else. Chapter 19. So you see it's one or the other, wisdom or foolishness. <clears throat> Chapter 19. And so, <laughs> okay, it's not that, oh, well, my woman's a fool. I need to divorce her and go find a wise woman. That's not the answer. We're not talking about two different women, <laughs> okay? We're talking about the same woman. And if, if, if she happens to be a fool at the moment, what's your responsibility, husband? What's your responsibility, father, the spiritual head of the home? Are you going to minister to that foolishness? Are you, there is a provision for foolishness, and it's the wisdom of the Word of God and the blessing that we have. Look what Christ did for the church. And that's the pattern for us. All right, chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. So this one's slightly different in that it encompasses two generations, um, two things that can be a grief to a father and a husband. Uh, You got the knucklehead kid in the first part of the verse, and we get that. We've had that in other passages as well. But then the second half of the verse is the, uh, is the wife. The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Just drip, 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 like Chinese water torture. And when is it going to stop? And the fact is it never stops, okay? Until we can uh, transform the, the, the being through the Word of God, right? What is it that transforms us? What is it that renews us in our mind, that, that, that transforms us from glory to glory? into that image of Christ. It's the Word of God, ministering the Word of God. And so that's the uh, provision. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So here again, it's two generations, but now it's going the other direction. Okay, It's not the son and the wife, now it's the father and the wife. 
See how it does that? And um, house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. And so the what you might receive from, uh, uh, you know, genetics, <laughs> what you might receive from uh, an estate in terms of accumulated wealth and, and uh, position in the community and so forth, all of that you get from your parentage. But uh, the prudent wife is from the Lord. And we can accept that on the grace basis. All right. Again, we're looking at two different women there. Is it the same woman under different circumstances? Okay. And uh, depending. Chapter 21 and verse 9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And uh, we'll deal with that. Uh, some of the, we haven't done a lot of these, um, better than, better than, uh, we'll have some of the better than, uh, Proverbs coming up actually here in chapter 12, very quickly, we've got some of the better than Proverbs that are coming up. Uh, but here's one of the better than Proverbs in chapter 21 and, uh, living in a corner of a roof, you know, and that's, you know, up top external, uh, they would store a lot of things. And, uh, if, if, uh, <laughs> it's just better than being inside, you know? Um, sometimes you got to go take a walk. Sometimes you just have to give some distance and, and, and that. But eventually, I mean, you got to sleep somewhere. What are you going to do? And uh, anyway, we'll talk about that. What are the problem-solving devices for marriage counseling? <laughs> um, well, I don't counsel, but the, the Word of God does. And we'll discuss that when we get to chapter 21. Same uh, chapter down to verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. So you see, all of these are, are similar. And, and the point being is, I mean, you might look at this with a jaded thought and say, well, man, who needs that? Why get married? Right? If that's what it's all about. Well, no, the, there are the blessings that go with it. And that's why you got the, the responsibility then to come together as heirs together the grace of life. And you're going to be blessing her. And then, by the way, turn the genders around. Okay. Because women, if you're, you know, re- restate these verses with the other, uh, with the shoe on the other foot. What do you do if, if it's the woman that's the, uh, uh, the, in the Word of God and abiding in Christ and living right, and it's the husband that's the knucklehead? How's she supposed to do and see, And there it's even worse because she does not have the authority and the teaching role that the man does. And so to remedy his deficiencies, to turn him from the fool to the wise man, uh, is going to be without a word, according to, to Peter, right? In First Peter chapter 3. So it's, it's by the demonstration of your life, and it's with a whole lot of prayer, and it's with uh, a whole lot of grace as in, in the hands of God that takes place. Anyway, it's still the same answer, is take him from being a fool to a wise man, and however long that takes, uh, pray that the Lord makes it shorter rather than longer in uh, in those ways. All right. So, uh, or you can go live in a desert land, but that's not a solution. <laughs> okay. Then with a contentious and vexing woman. I think in all of these passages we realize the answer is not uh, divorce and go find somebody better. The answer is, uh, you know, you are uh, as unto the Lord, heirs together of the grace of life. And that includes uh, growing up with one another in uh, in the, the things of the Lord. All right, so those are the ones that are found in the uh, personal and public wisdom section. We get then beyond chapter 25 and we get to the closing section of Proverbs. Uh, 
And uh, in Proverbs 27, in verse 15, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain is, and a contentious woman are alike. Very similar to Proverbs 19, it just later got included by Hezekiah in uh, that portion of Proverbs. And the, the capstone, the pinnacle here, Proverbs 31. And uh, understand, since we've had all of these verses leading up to this, um, that, that we have a two-edged sword, we have a two-sided coin. We have the wise woman and we have the fool. We have the one that does him good all the days of her life and the one that is a constant dripping all the days of his life. Okay, There is a flip side here. And so reading through the virtuous woman poetry I think it's useful to stop and consider at each step of the way, what's the flip side? If, if the virtuous woman is this, then what is the fool when, when, when that wife, when that woman departs from the Word of God? So we start in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. And this is uh, the, the same vocabulary from our verse today in chapter 10, it's the, uh, chapter 12, it's the same chayil, it's the same woman of excellence, right? Or a mighty if it was a man, we would call him a mighty man of valor. And we would be reading about how he was working with David. He was, a, he was a, one of David's mighty men. Or that he went and he attacked a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Or we would read about, um, in Boaz's case, uh, we have a, a mighty man of wealth, where there's a riches uh, adjective that's, or noun that's, that's attached there. Uh, but anytime this, this adjective is applied to uh, a man, He's a mighty man. He's a man of excellence. He's a man of worth. His worth is in his might, in his capacity to serve the Lord and protect his family and, and all of that. In the woman, it's not turning her into, you know, She-Hulk or, or G.I. Jane or whatever, Mrs. Rambo. Uh, it, it's not trying to turn her into a man. It's showing the might that she has and her might, her glory, her power comes in her femininity, not in her masculinity. It comes in her virtue. And so I don't mind the translation excellent, uh, just understanding that it's, excellence is different between men and women. All right? And I don't think we have an issue there. The feminists do, because <laughs> they don't want to say that men and women are different at all, and that, uh, that they can uh, be on the front line and serve in combat and do all that other stuff. All right. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. And we're reminded with the who can find that it's a grace provision. The excellent wife is from the Lord. You're not going to uh, earn this. You're not going to deserve this. You're not going to find this uh, through your own human effort. It is, uh, it is from the Lord. And, and when we can accept that on the grace basis, I think we, uh, we do real well in determining the will of God for uh, His grace provision. Uh, we're not going to try to be uh, like Jacob. We're not going to try to wheel and deal. We're not going to try to bargain for the, the wife we want and then get disappointed with the wife we got stuck with and then try to uh, make other, uh, <laughs> other things to try to get the one we wanted in the first place. All of that is human effort. All of that is what we think we deserve, is what we think we've earned and deserved. And that's not what it's about. Marriage choices are grace uh, gifts, see, and so what we ought to be doing, praying for the next generation, praying for our kids and so forth, that uh, God in His grace will lead them to the one that His grace is providing for them. And uh, we can accept it on the grace basis, not uh, finding it in our own human effort. 
for her worth is far above jewels. Flip it to the other side. If she's not walking in the Word of God, if she's the fool, then what's her worth? (laughs) Far below, far below jewels and far below dirt and far below whatever. And that's the contrast, right? Because we're contrasting the woman of wisdom and the fool. And so this woman is far above jewels. This woman is, uh, okay. And you see why this matters? Because the idea of, of what she is worth, we have, to, we have to throw that out the window. We're commanded to love with agape love. And agape love does not take into account the merit of the object. So whether she's worth far above jewels or whether she's worth far below dirt doesn't change the fact, husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. All right? And it's not about dumping the one that's not worth it and trying to find the one that is worth it. See? See what I'm saying? All right, verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Remember, this is, a, this is an acrostic poem in the Hebrew. So verse 10 starts with Aleph, verse 11 starts with Baith, verse 12 starts with Gimel, and, and, and uh, you could memorize this by just thinking your way through the alphabet. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Flip it over. What if he can't trust her? What if she's not walking in wisdom? What if she's not a woman of excellence? What if she's totally departing from the Word of God? Can the heart of her husband trust in her? Not at all. He will have no lack of gain. And he's going to have a lot of lack because she's gone carnal and she's uh, actually uh, defrauding him, stealing from him. He's going to have a lot of ga- uh, lack in that capacity. Okay? And like I say, we can flip this to, we can flip the, the gender roles as well as far as the, uh, the husband. This just happens to be stressing the woman. All right, verse 12, she, uh, the Gimel verse. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. See, it's till death us do part. It is the, the vow that we have. We're heirs together of the grace of life. And uh, on this life, this is what we have in the, in the uh, husband and wife relationship doing him good and not evil, assuming that she's a woman of wisdom living in the Word of God. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. And we see the productivity here and we see the, the blessings here of, uh, of what she does and um, the, uh, the benefits here. And, and a lot of this you know, is, is uh, uh, reflective of uh, industry, is reflective of home uh, business and, and what she produces, uh, common in the ancient world in terms of it's not she's not out there in the fields, although she does have a role here in the fields. We get to the fields in verse 16. But uh, looking for wool and flax. And what does she do with the wool and flax? What does anybody do with wool and flax? <laughs> okay, You don't just purchase raw materials and then sit there with it. You, you take raw materials and you do something with it. You fashion, you shape, you weave, you sew, you knit, you quilt, you whatever right? You're finding materials, yarn and thread and whatever, okay? I'm I'm very quickly going to expose my ignorance if I keep on with these illustrations. But the point is, you're taking stuff and you're increasing its value. You're putting your work and your skill and your wisdom and and, and, and the, the equity of your wisdom and your endeavors and you're producing something that's worth more, something that will then accumulate wealth, that can then be sold, that will then bless your, your husband and your children and your household. 
So she works with her hands in delight. She's productive. And this productivity is a blessing to her husband, to her children, to her household. As opposed to someone that's non-productive. Someone that uh, never makes a thing, never builds a thing, never sows a thing. never. And so um, without that kind of skill, without that kind of skill, if then 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 you are paying extra money uh, because somebody else put their work into that. See, so you're buying the finished product instead of building your own. You're buying. Um, uh, you're not. Uh, you know, you, you, it's, it's restaurants seven days a week because you you never cook, or it's it's uh, uh, clothes that you're not making for yourself. You, you're you're spending more to buy those clothes than than you could had you made them yourself. All right. Which, by the way, is not always true. And with our modern capitalistic economy, it's uh, usually more expensive to make your own dress compared to what you can get in uh, the mass-produced economy. Anyway, principles, though, remain the same. Uh, We want to be productive. We want to increase value for our household. She is like merchant ships. That doesn't seem to be flattering. (laughs) <laughs> you know, if I call my wife a merchant ship, I think she'd be offended. You know, uh, it's a little bit insulting. Some of the some of the idioms don't translate into the modern world so so much. You know, you call your wife a barge, and that's likely going to put you on the couch tonight for where you're going to sleep. But no, the point being though, she is like merchant ship. She brings her food from afar, and you look at the effort that's produced, and why do this? Why undertake all this kind of effort? Why the, the long-range commerce as well as short-range commerce? What's the value there? What do we, what's the, the value in trade with neighbors near and far? What do we get out of that? And what's the benefit to it? Well, she's engaged in these kind of economic activities. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. And so... Um, different applications we can make there that speak to uh, diligence and time management. Um, Notice uh, the responsibilities that she has in serving. She's not just a a queen bee that demands everyone bows to her. She's actually the first one up and the first one that's prepared, the first one that's working and uh, getting ready to uh, not only to give food to her household, obviously, but beyond that, portions to her maidens. What's that about? Who are her maidens? You know, the ladies in waiting, right? Maid Marian and some of the... (laughs) uh, A lot of this is lost on us, unless you have servants or an extended household or whatnot. Um, We don't really have a household beyond um, immediate family members in most cases today. Uh, But her maidens then would be, they could be nieces, they could be cousins, they could be uh, poor uh, people in the community that would be attached to her as a as a handmaiden, as a servant. Um, and so then she has a responsibility to that young uh, worker, to that servant, to that handmaiden. Hagar was Sarah's handmaiden. And, um, you know, there, there's a responsibility there for a, a lady in waiting and uh, other capacities. Uh, but portions to her maidens, this becomes vital. And, and the uh, the benefit to be able to teach principles of of um, womanhood, femininity, modesty, 
uh, to look after one another, to be chaperones for one another, to be guardians of one another's honor and, and the, the value and the benefit there. And um, any number of, of, of things that is attached to that. She, uh, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Now, and now in all of this, does, has she asked her husband for permission on any of this? Or does she have permission already up front because the heart of her husband trusts in her? Okay, and so the uh, what we see here is it seems to be a very uh, you know well-oiled machine between the husband and the wife and the responsibilities that she has and the freedom that she has and whatever budget she operates with and whatever you know whatever their household income is and whatever is uh, is hers to uh, to do with she does with it even buying a field um, you know. Uh, and then from her earnings she plants a vineyard. And so she has her own economy and her own income. She's contributing to the household in this, uh, in this capacity. Again, I haven't done the flip side on some of these, but uh, if she's not the wise woman, if she's not the woman of excellence, if she abandons the Word of God and just goes totally carnal, well then it, what's she doing here in not buying a field and not planting a vineyard and not earning... Uh, you know, is, is is it all just about consumerism? Is it all just about what she gets? Is it all about, uh, you know, the, the nail salon and the spa and the hanging out with her friends and all the recreation of this and that and whatever? Something that's not productive to her family's uh, needs. All right. Um, verse 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And um, benefits there related to her own uh, health, her own exercise, her own fitness, her own uh, um, the, the benefits that she has in the, the, the hard day's work. Verse, uh, as opposed to, you know, sitting on the couch watching soap operas all day. <laughs> I'm going to be pretty offensive, I think, for most of this class here today, depending on viewpoint. Uh, verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Man, we need more of that. And then her lamp does not go out at night. There's really two things that happen here. She senses that her gain is good. She has a divine viewpoint perspective where she can reflect back. Uh, we've had the, the early part of the day in verse 15. The sun's not even up yet, but she is. And now there's verse 18. At the end of the day, the sun's already gone, to down, gone down, but she's not. Okay? It's the principle of this. She senses that her gain is good. What is it that drives her self-worth? What is it that drives, that drives her uh, awareness? Does she need a self-help book to tell her that she's okay? Or that does she need society to tell her that she has value? Does she need a career to tell her she has value? Does she need, what does she need from the world to tell her that she has worth? Actually, God's made provision for that already. She senses it already based upon her walk with the Lord, based upon her intimacy with the Father. Now, her husband is going to praise her, but we're not there yet, <laughs> okay? Where is that? I mean, that's way down. That's, uh, what a knucklehead. What takes him so long? Um, her children rise up and bless her, and her husband also praising her, saying, I mean, that's verses 28, 29, and 30. 
or at least verses 28 and 29. We can debate where the the close quote should be when the husband stops talking. Um, probably, yeah, probably 29. So look how long it is before the husband finally gets around to complimenting her about anything. Okay? She doesn't need that. She herself senses that her gain is good. She's not dependent upon his praise to feel appreciated, to feel valuable, to feel uh, productive in the will of God, to know that she is serving the Lord as unto the Lord. She senses that her gain is good. And what's good? Her gain. What is she producing? What is the increase? What is the profit? Okay? We live in a culture where profit is a dirty word. Okay? Among a certain segment of our population. All right? Another segment knows better. But there are too many people that think profit is evil. That profit is greed. No, increase is good. We're designed to be productive. We should be increasing. Humanity was commanded to be fruitful and multiply. God Himself works. God Himself produces. We image God as we produce. As we turn wool and flax into something useful. Something profitable. And so uh, she senses that her gain is good. If, if it's not a day of gain, what is it? It's a day of loss. And who suffers if, that's a, if there's a loss? Who suffers if, uh, if all there is is decrease, 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 decrease to the savings accounts, to the checking account, to, to everything? When all of a sudden there's just nothing left. All right. No, it should be about increase. Because there's a husband, there's children, there's a household, there's maidens. Not to mention what is then passed on to the next generation. So it's gain that is good. And so she's like the Lord. He looked back over six days and saw all that he had made and behold it was very good. But yet there's more to do. Because he looked at the man and said it's not good for the man to be alone. And uh, he had to remedy that. So she uh, senses that her gain is good, but she knows there's more to do, right? The work never ends. You ladies know that. It never ends. The chores never end. It seems like there's always more something, okay? And so her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. So she's done everything she can in public during business hours and now at home there's more work to be done. More, uh, here's the distaff, here's the spindle. And uh, she's finally uh, able to do something with the wool and the flax that uh, she got earlier in the day. She extends her hands to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. Very generous, why? Because that's a reflection of God and His grace. That she's productive, she's generous, okay? And she's not generous because she's wealthy. It's the same attitude that produces the, the, the work ethic is the same attitude that produces the generosity. So she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. So um, uh, in other words, there's foresight, there's anticipation, there's thinking ahead. There's not uh, the the... the flying by the seat of your pants, living day to day and going, oh wow, it snowed. I, gee, I don't have a parka. <laughs> I guess I better make something. 
You know, well, yeah, and until then you're going to freeze. No, it's ahead of time. You're not afraid of the snow. It can come when it gets here because we're prepared for it today, prepared for it ahead of time. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. And uh, so much of this is... is um, some of it's redundant, but some of it is, is, is reinforcing things in slightly different ways. Um, something that she wants, and what does she do? She, she makes it, she produces it, she obtains it. The coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's not uh, nagging her husband for not giving her the best dress, or she's not complaining that uh, uh, the, the wife next door has better jewelry than she has better clothing than she has and why doesn't uh you know uh why doesn't fred give wilma the same uh dress that barney gave um barney rubble and who betty thank you lost it there for a minute all right um and, and so you see it's, it's not the matter of what it is that the husband is giving her what is she making what is she producing how does she dress herself? How does she dress her maidens? How does she dress her children? How does she dress him? <laughs> All right. Now we finally get to uh, her husband. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And what's he known for? And why does that bother her? Or does it bother her? Okay. If, if he is known in the gates, is she good with that or is she angry at that? Is, is that a blessing to her or is that, is that an insult to her? See, this verse presents it as a positive, as a, as a benefit to her. Again, take the corollary to this. What if her husband is not known in the gates? Or what if he's known in the gates for the wrong reasons? Okay, how does that affect her? What is the benefit to her in this? Well, he sits among the elders of the land. That's a positive for her. She, she, she's supportive of that. She's thankful for that. She prays for that. She's a blessing in that. But I think part of this is what he's known for, he's known for her. He's absolutely known for her. His public character is very much cannot be separated from his marriage. And he used to be, not anymore, but I mean he used to be in our country. Um a man that was faithless in his vows, a man that was an adulterer, a man that couldn't lead his family. He wouldn't be hired as a CEO of a business. He wouldn't be trusted in a, in a, in a business position. Wouldn't be trusted in politics. Wouldn't be, uh, the Bible says he can't pastor a church, right? And uh, so what is that reputation? And why does he have that reputation it has, as it's connected to her? In, in, in all of these things, remember um, the, the Proverbs 31 woman doesn't just spring out of a hole in the, hole in the ground, right? <laughs> it doesn't just fall off the tree. This character needs to be molded, needs to be developed, needs to be shaped. The Word of God does this, right? So she keeps herself in the Word of God. He, her husband, ministers the Word of God to her. Or he doesn't, Okay. And uh, hopefully we see how this works. Uh, she makes linen garments and sells them. Supplies belts to the tradesmen. Again, we see 
Uh, we, we've seen productivity already, but now we have productivity that seems to be connected to her husband. Uh, the contacts that she has through him. He's known in the gates, he's known to the elders, the tradesmen um, appear to be his business connections, not just her business connections. She had some earlier with the merchant ships and the, the field and the vineyard, but now she's got these additional uh, tradesmen here. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. We've seen those principles as well in, uh, in that. Uh, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You see this? Again, to her maidens, to her children, to her household. She's a teacher of the Word of God. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. All right, then we get, that's kind of the end of her view, and then the uh, praise comes from her children, from her husband, and from God. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceit. And and that's that's important. You've got to know that that you're number one, (laughs) okay? And you are. Solomon can't possibly apply this with a thousand women. How do you tell... When you've got a thousand women, how do you tell them any of them? You can't tell any of them anything. Oh, you're special. You're not like the rest. Really? All right. You know, many daughters have done nobly. There's all kinds of good wives out there and whatever, but, you know, I thank God for the one He gave me. It's a gift of grace. And uh, that's uh, what it's about. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. In other words, um, it can it can be you can hide. You know, you can have physical beauty that is just a lie because the soul is black as anything, and uh, it's vain. It's the it's the breath that just passes away. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's uh, that's uh, there you have it. From till death us do part. And that's the thing as the um, as the marriage unfolds. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And so she shall be praised and she is praised. And that's, I think there's a du- duality there. The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. There is eternal reward, but then there's temporal blessings as well. Give her the product of her hands. She has the enjoyment of that increase, the enjoyment of that benefit. And let her works praise her in the gates. There is praise in time as well as eternity. She doesn't have to wait until the judgment seat of Christ to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. She's going to have praise. Her works will praise her in the gates. They will speak for themselves as uh, far as that goes. In the reputation she has to her husband and the uh, public uh, exposure there in in the community. All right. Two sides on that. Now, A and B subpoints. Back to chapter 12 now, Proverbs, as we see the crown and the bones. Again, Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. The crown is the visible representation of invisible authority. What does the Bible use crown for? What does the crown speak to? And um, why does he get to wear the crown? 
<laughs> you know? Forget about who wears the pants in this marriage. Who wears the crown and why? What are the roles? Male and female, he created them. But did he bring the man to the woman? Or did he bring the woman to the man? That was the purpose. That was the design. And that was the order. And the order was not only a sequence, but also a, a uh, hierarchy. Uh, he was alone and that was not good. Her bringing her to him made the not good good and provided the help for what it was that he and she together are expected to do. And so there's a crown. The visible representation of invisible authority. And and just understand how the Bible presents this and we're able to relax a bit and we're not going to be all weird like uh, so many feminists and other uh, non-thinking people. They hate the idea of crowns. They hate the idea of beauty crowns or beauty pageants or patriarchy. We'll, we'll rage against this and rage against that. Um, and, but putting a woman up on a pedestal uh, for her to be his crown is, um, is uh, very offensive to uh, modern leftists and feminists and, and other folks. But this is what the, the Scripture is describing. She is his crown. Um, I think the best corollary to this we get in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul dealt with the gender roles in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's really a long section here. Um, verse 7, verse 10, verse 13. And uh, let's see here. Starts off, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. I praise you because you have remembered me in everything. Hold firmly to the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand, Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. All right, you remember? This was a long time ago when we taught this in 1 Corinthians. That goes back a while. Um, so Christ is the head of every man. That's why you don't have to fear the tyrant uh, if you're submitting to your husband as unto the Lord, you understand that he, his head is Christ. And so in, in a Christian marriage under these principles, it's not something to be feared from. So Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman. <laughs> okay, uh, Men in general are not uh, in charge of women in general. All right? Men as a class are not superior to women as a class. Okay? But in the design of marriage, Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman. Right? One man, one woman, uh, united together in marriage, as unto the Lord, till death us do part. Notice, though, God is the head of Christ. Even there, there's a, a, a hierarchy, and there's a sequence. Christ submits to the Father, not because he's inferior. I and the Father are one, but because this is the design for the maximum glory. All right. Uh, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shamed. And so, shamed. So this gets into some elements there related to the gift of prophecy. And you had prophets and prophetesses in the early church. And then how could they serve in such a way so as to glorify Christ and not violate the gender roles? Not violate the design? Not um, 
caused the, the tension and the conflict in the early church that uh, otherwise would be available here. Anyway, there's a whole realm of teaching on that. If a, if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is dis, uh, disgraceful for a woman to have her head cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. And that goes into some other judgment on prostitutes and the shaved head and the, the things there. Skipping all that for this morning. It's on the website if you want to sit and listen to it. It's all there in 1 Corinthians 11. All right. But verse 7, verse 10, verse 13. Here's the explanation. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. Remember, Adam was created first as the image of God. He is the son of God. She was then brought to him, but, he, but she was from him. Right? The, the rib was taken out. So he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Now, that's deep. There's a, there's a lot of doctrine with respect to that. But at the very surface level, right off the bat, we say there's a difference here. Okay? There's a difference between men and women. There's a difference in the role, in the function, not in the value, not in the worth, but in the role and in the function. What is the glory? If, if, if man is designed to image God, if man is designed to glorify God, what is the woman designed for? The glory of man. All right? Why did uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, what was the glory of her husband? He was known in the gates. She was the glory of him. The woman is the glory of man, see. Or his shame, that's the flip side, <laughs> okay? Or his shame, right? In the gates, people look at him and go, wow, glad she's not my wife. <laughs> All right? Or, wow, how does he love her, okay? I mean, it can be very negative or it can be very positive. And that's the entire point of point four. All right. She is the glory of man or the shame of man on the flip side. For a man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. He was not put on this earth to meet her needs. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> wow. You realize how many women's magazines would go out of business with just that one principle right there? All right. She, was, she originates from him. Man was not created for woman's sake. Strictly speaking, you don't need us. Women don't need men, except for the fulfilling the role to glorify Jesus Christ in this tandem. But the woman for the man's sake. If he is alone, if he does not have a helper corresponding to him, then Yahweh Elohim says that is a not good status. And for most men, that's not their design. There are a few gifted in that, but not many. So, woman was created for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Oh my goodness. This just got to a bigger scope than we were ready for this morning, didn't it? All right. Angels were not created in a male and female. See, it's not male and female he created them to the angels, but male and female he created them to humanity, to us. We're the ones that have this blessing. We're the ones that endowed by our Creator to procreate, okay? Not the angels. And so that, that operation of masculinity and femininity is alien to the angels. It is our blessing to image God in this way. 
So the symbol of the authority on her head. And so they're very clear. Now it doesn't apply so much today because we don't have prophets and prophetesses anymore. And so it's not, it's not an issue anymore. There are some Christian denominations, Mennonites and so forth, they still have customs of the, of the little bonnets and the veils and the head coverings. And, and, and I get that continues as a legacy. And I'm, I don't want to mock that or belittle that, but, but really it's about as necessary today as the gift of tongues is to, to warn Jerusalem about 70 A.D., all right? It served a purpose in the early church because you had prophets and prophetesses. And uh, the prophetess had to fulfill her gift and ministry while not violating um, 1 Timothy 2.12 or speaking, having authority over a man, having authority in a church, or violating the, the gender role in the church. Anyway, this chapter was a huge blessing to the prophetesses of, uh, of the early church. All right, five, verse 13 then. Um, Let's see here. Verse 11, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. There's a a mutual reflective need there. As the woman originates from the man, so also man has his birth through the woman, right? Raise your hand if your mom was a woman. Uh, So all things originate from God. And uh, the blessings of motherhood, the blessings of of that, any boy that, uh, you know, the, the relationship he has with his mother is so huge in those early years He'll eventually develop that with his father, but this is preparing him for his role as a husband and uh, those applications there. I tell these girls in the church, single girls, I say, find out, find out what his relationship is like with his mother. Find out. Because whatever it's like with his mother, you might expect there's good things in front of you or there's big trouble ahead uh, with you as his wife if you're considering marrying this guy. All right. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that a man has long hair and is a dishonor to him and so forth? All right. There's a whole context there and realm of teaching we gave. I think we took, I don't know, weeks to teach that chapter back in the uh, First Corinthians series. But with the angels watching and with a representation of something invisible yet real, what is this crown? And it's, it's a metaphor. The woman is a crown. A woman of excellence is a crown. Spiritually speaking, it is a representation of a truth. The crown is the visible representation of an invisible authority. We need to understand that. And then the bones, rottenness in the bones. Bone and joint pain is not externally visible. You know, later it can become, with my dad's case, man, it shapes the fingers and the toes and it's just hideous to look at. But it doesn't start out that way. Not externally visible, but often becomes chronic and unbearable. Often it becomes chronic and unbearable. And this is what happens with the, with the woman of folly. This is what happens with that constant dripping. This is what happens with the unhappy marriage chronic and unbearable. Proverbs 12.4, Proverbs 14.30, also Habakkuk 3.16 speaks to this. Bone and joint pain. 14.30 So we we read this several times. She who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Rottenness in his bones. And it aches and it hurts and there's no stopping it. What are you going to do? She keeps shaming him. She's uh, 
and it hurts, all right? And, it's, and sometimes it's eternal. It's because it's internal, you try to put on a good show. You try to not display any of that. <laughs> it still hurts. And uh, eventually it's seen for what it is because the shame never stops. Chapter 14 and verse 30. Uh, not in a marriage context, but s- similar is the rottenness to the bones expression that's found there. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion or t- tumult, shall we say. The, the difference between calm waters and boiling waters. Passion is rottenness to the bones. You know, there's something to be said for tranquility. <laughs> there's something to be said for stability. We saw that last week, that firm foundation, that stability. And that tranquility, there's life there. There's a physical benefit to spiritual tranquility. And then there's damage that gets done to your soul with the turmoil. Passion is rottenness to the bones. Maybe passion is not the best word there. All right? It's the opposite of the tranquility and that rottenness to the bones. Habakkuk 3.16. Running out of time. Habakkuk 3.16. I heard, oh well, there's a big context on this. Um, All right, so without reading all of Habakkuk chapter 3, it's a fun chapter. Um, Verse 12 says, uh, or verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, you struck the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exaltation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trample on the sea with your horses on the surge of the many waters. All right, anyway, this is all looking forward eschatologically, the, the glories of Christ and his victory. Verse 16, I heard and my inward parts trembled and the sound of my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. I think the prophet knew what Israel was going to go through in the tribulation. Habakkuk just had a total vision of what what it was as people were going to have to suffer. And it, it, it hurt. He didn't want to see that. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, yet the yield of the olive tree should fail. Anyway, I'm sorry we get so rushed to try to get through this. Verse 18, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet and made me walk on my, on my high places. And so here's Habakkuk. All right. Rottenness to the bones. Thank you, Father, for this day and uh, for this teaching. Uh, Father, this is the first of many times, um, half a dozen times, the book of Proverbs speaks to marriage and it speaks to uh, husbands and wives in this. And clearly, if if we're going to be men of excellence and women of excellence, it has to be according to your wisdom. Otherwise, we're just fools and uh, we're going to destroy our marriage, we're going to destroy our family and, uh, and all the rest. So, Make these applications clear to each one of us. I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.